This episode is presented by MyBookie.ag. Now, welcome back to the MMA Media Let's Talk with Weasel podcast, where we talk all things MMA, and there's been a lot of things going on, man. Let's get right into this stuff, man. Colby Covington, making a lot of enemies in his gym from different countries, his own country. I mean, he has really made an effort and succeeded in having as many people as possible to hate him. To the point now, his former best friend, Hori Mavzadal, has a problem with him. And even Dustin Poirier saying he wants to fight him and stuff like that. And I didn't know that Hori Mavzadal was actually the one that went up to Colby Covington and created problems for him at UFC 241. Right, I thought it was a lot of other things going on, but it seems to be really related to Hori Mavzadal trying to address their issue and I guess their issue is that Colby Covington had a problem with one of their coaches. And uh, Maslow said some things like someone didn't get paid and Colby kind of shunned him and kind of shunned the coach and stuff like that. And that didn't sit too well with Rory Maslow because I guess he's pretty close with that coach. And it really speaks to the character, the true character of Colby Covington. But that really wasn't like the nail in the coffin kind of thing. I, I think there is no nail in the coffin yet. But Colby Covington later came out and just started trashing on Mazadol, You know, saying he's a journeyman. He's a 2-2 two two fighter, which isn't incorrect, right? I wouldn't say Mazadol's a journeyman. You know, that's just some kind of average Joe who's been in the game for a while, right? But he is 2-2 two two in his last four fights. That is true. And he's trying to make a claim for a title shot. And he did get a shot at the title, but I made a video about it. Colby just seemed not to agree to it, and it seemed like Usman, from his latest tweet, also is kind of playing hardball as well. On Kamaru Usman's Twitter, quote, Y'all must have forgot who took the greatest beltway of all time. Y'all keep crying about me defending. Well, find the right guy and the right money, and I'll repeat the ass whooping, unquote. Well, first of all, I understand what he's trying to do here. He's trying to really exaggerate his win over Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley is one of the greatest welterweights of all time. He's nowhere near GSP's level, let's be honest here. I, it was kind of crazy before how Joe Rogan and a bunch of guys were trying to say that Tyron Woodley was the greatest welterweight of all time. Even back then when he was on that win streak and didn't lose to Usman, he still wasn't close. Tyron Woodley, I would say, is probably the second or third greatest welterweight of all time. You can exchange him with Matt Hughes, I think. So yeah, a bit exaggerating his win over there. And he said, well, find the right guy and the right money, which means Colby's probably not the right guy and they didn't offer him the right money. Perhaps Colby got out of the negotiations and that is why Usman said the right guy, but he said right money, which most likely means he's not happy with what they offered him. So, okay, those two guys seem like to deny each other. Something's going on there. They got to figure that out because this division has to move on or, you know, Usman might get stripped. I think he's putting himself at a little bit too high of a value here. I don't think the organization will be too hesitant on taking that strap away from him, you know, if he waits a little bit too long. And Mazadal came back afterward on the Irrawani show, said a bunch of things, really started roasting Colby Covington. And now Dustin Poirier is saying that he wants to actually fight Colby Covington. He said it's on site if he sees him at the gym. It seems like he's pointing to that Colby Covington is not loyal to anybody. He's not loyal to the gym, not loyal to his teammates. And this just not good for Dustin Poirier, man. It just shows that he's a little bit too emotional still. This is what got him smoked by Conor McGregor. He took things a little bit too personal, and he's taking things personal here where he shouldn't be. I mean, the guy's not even in your division. I understand he's your training partner and stuff like that, but you shouldn't care too much, you know what I'm saying? You got to focus on yourself. That's one thing I do agree with Colby Covington. Yes, your training partners and stuff like that, but at the beginning and at the end of the day, this is selfish, right? This is a selfish sport. These guys did not get into the sport to be friends with each other. You know, Dustin Poirier and Colby didn't start this to be friends with each other. You know what I'm saying? They had a goal set before they got into the sport. Same thing with Mazadal. Colby just found a different way to do it. You know, nobody was talking about him before. He turned heel and he turned into this hateful character. 
but also one of the best fighters in this division. And now we're talking about him. I bet nobody even knew Colby Covington lost to Warley Elvis a long time ago. I actually watched that fight live and I forgot about Colby Covington after that. I forgot he lost to Elvis and I saw that fight live. When I went back and watched it, I'm like, oh, I remember this. This is what actually got me high on Warley Elvis. Because I remember Elvis was that phenom in the division, that prospect that a lot of people were looking up to in that fight because he beat an undefeated fighter in Colby Covington. I was like, wow, this guy's actually really good. And now we remember all of Colby's fights pretty much because the buildup is kind of memorable. Even if you hate him, you like him, you love the memes, you love the jokes you hate the character, whatever it is, it makes you remember some of the stuff he says, the controversies, and how his fights go on because you want to see him lose. You know, a lot of people like to see him lose. So he took that path and a lot of people are just mad at him for it. I understand he's burning bridges and stuff like that, but these guys shouldn't care too much. They should just move on. You know, if this guy doesn't want to be a part of your friendship or whatever it is, you know, just kind of move on. That's for Dustin Poirier. With Jorge Masvidal, it's a little bit different because they live together. They shared bills and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, I can understand it's a little bit more personal for Jorge Masvidal. But for Dustin Poirier, I don't know what they had together, you know? But here's the thing, man. If Dustin Poirier goes and fights Colby Covington, that's not good for him. I understand it's a street fight or it's in the gym or whatever it is. It doesn't matter, man. I had a few small debates about this. And a lot of people seem to think that Dustin Poirier is a lot more of a street fighter than uh, Colby Covington is. But that doesn't really mean anything. Anybody who steps in that cage against the best and scariest fighters on the planet, they are not going to be scared or welt in a street fight. You know, I understand it's a lot more unpredictable and a lot of things can happen. The environment could be very different. It may not have many walls or cages or stuff like that for Colby to drive takedowns against. But you still are probably going to be on concrete or something like that. So one big takedown, one big slam from Colby Covington. And Dustin Poirier could be out like he won't be in MMA, right? There's a lot of, you know, illegal strikes in MMA that actually so much cater to a wrestler. It's crazy. Headbutts on the ground. Stomping. Kneeing on the opponent when you get on top of him. Soccer kicks if you post on them with your hands. People like to say poking out the eyes, but actually the guy on top is going to have a lot easier of time doing that. You know, if he gets Dustin Poirier's back, he's going to start landing elbows to the back of his head. So there's a lot of illegal strikes that Colby Covington could do to Dustin Poirier as well with his regular style and skill set. Dustin Poirier, what can he do? That's a little bit different. Maybe low blow from a distance with a kick, but the way Colby Covington fights is really hard to set up kicks at all, and Dustin Poirier isn't a kicker at all. Poirier's more of a boxer with good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, he can potentially poke him in the eye, which is very hard to do, especially when you're trying to do it, and especially when the opponent knows that you can do it. And MMA, some people do get poked in the eye, luck, unluck, and also nobody expects it to happen because it's against the rules. When you have that in your mind that that can happen, that there is no rules... It's a lot harder to actually land those stuff. The biggest thing that someone like Dustin Poirier can do in a street fight rather than an MMA fight is on a failed takedown attempt, he can land knees, soccer kicks, and stuff like that. That's the biggest thing. Unless I'm forgetting things, you know, biting, I don't think it's going to do anything. Poking in the eyes when you're on your back. Those two things are only going to get you smashed, right? Try clawing at the eyes or trying to bite Colby Covington instead of trying to stop him from passing your guard or passing your half guard and stuff like that. He's going to pass while you're focused on this. And now you're what? In full mount? He has your back. He's in side control. Good luck now, man. You messed up royally. Bass Rutten had a good story, funny story about this a long time ago when he had uh, one of the girls back who was like supposedly a ninja or whatever. The girl said that she could poke him in the eye. And Bass Rutten is 100% right. Go ahead, poke me in the eye. I'm just going to snap your neck. I mean, you don't want to mess with someone like that, you know? Colby Covington is a little bit bigger than Dustin Poirier as well. He does walk around 180. I understand Poirier could walk up higher than that. But the thing about Colby Covington is he's never fat. He's never unhealthy. 
He's a lean 180 year-round. Same deal with Kamar Usman, right? Kamar Usman, I said before, he walks around at like 190. And the guy looks huge, but it's because he's so lean. He has like no body fat on him. Dustin Poirier can get up there. He can gain some weight, eat a little bit unhealthy. And that's why he gets that high. Tony Ferguson is famous for weighing over 200 pounds out of camp. Is he actually bigger than Kamar Usman? No way. No way. You know, it's just a lot of... Uh, unhealthy gains that these guys get and as for Jorge Masvidal now that's when it gets competitive and this whole thing between them two is actually creating some interest for them to fight each other I think that would be a pretty big fight you know if Colby goes and beats Kamar Usman and Jorge Masvidal goes and beats Nate Diaz well obviously they would have to fight each other and now there's a build-up to it there's a story that's gonna be crazy man everybody's gonna be invested everybody's gonna be invested either you're team Colby or team Jorge I have a feeling a lot more people are gonna be team Jorge on that one but yeah, man, so let's get this Usman-Colby fight going, man, because if Masvidal beats Nate Diaz, like a lot of people think he will, we got to get this fight going, man. Colby can beat Kamar Usman. It's a very competitive fight. I do favor Usman to beat Colby Covington, but it's so close. They're very similar in a lot of things that they do. And frankly, I do favor Colby Covington to also beat Jorge Masvidal. I think the wrestling's a little bit too strong. I think the pace is a little bit too strong. The changing of levels will probably, it can, get Jorge Masvidal confused a bit in certain situations. And then he backs away into his defensive shell that he was kind of plagued with in uh, the lightweight division. Interesting, man. The welterweight division is so interesting. It's so good, but it's such a mess. It's terrible at the top right now. Hopefully, guys like Ponzinibbio and Leah Edwards really get up there and start getting themselves into title contention. No. Zabit Magomedsharipov did pull out of his Boston fight with Kelvin Cater, and that kind of bummed me out a little bit. But they're moving into Moscow. So they went from Kelvin Cater's hometown now to Zabit's country and i cannot wait for that man it's gonna be electrifying zabit is actually a really big name over there in russia when you look at his social media and all that stuff i wonder how kevin cater is gonna show up out there man and this is a fantastic fight i think it's a close fight competitive these two guys are eventually going to be you know the top contenders of this division like i said before man when shane burgos fought kelvin cater before that fight happened i said these two guys are probably going to fight each other again when they reach the top of the division zabit's going to be there as well right now they're like in the mid ranks i think zabit's number five and kelvin cater is like eight or something like that it's going to be like the tony ferguson habib thing to an extent i don't think they're going to be the absolute best fighters in the featherweight division but i do favor zabit a bit he has a better wrestling game better grappling game better kicks much longer and we know Cater does have a problem with leg kicks because it takes a heavy boxing stance. And even in the boxing, I think it's going to be hard for Kelvin Cater to find that distance because of how fast Zabit is. And it is a three-round fight, which is going to favor Makomet Sharipov. And here with Yuan Yon Jacek, it finally comes out. She goes and admits that she turned down Weili Zhang three times. Three times. And her explanation was, she needed me. That was what she said. She needed me, so I didn't give her the fight. That's pretty much what she's saying. Yikes, that is not good. That is not a way to earn fans. That is not a way to get good with fans after all the stuff she has done that turned fans away from her. She is sometimes fun to watch fight, but her personality and everything that's happened since the Rose Namajunas fight, it just turned like all fans against her. And now this, she turned down Weili Zhang three times. Three times. So I guess it was true. Weili Zhang said that everybody was turning her down. And I think we know that Michelle Waterson turned her down. If I'm not wrong. And now we know Joanna turned her down. The only one that wasn't turning her down, it seemed like, was the actual champion. You have to give Jessica Andrade credit, man. Not only did she agree to fight this monster, but she agreed to fight her in her own country the first time a Chinese fighter was fighting for a belt. She went all the way in. Jessica Andrade doesn't care. She doesn't care who she fights. 
She's not scared of anybody in terms of business, rankings, competitively, if the stakes are high, if they're low, she will take on this monster that nobody else wants to take on. And now Weili Zhang's in power. Kind of ironic, right? Tables sure have turned. And where Yuana was saying that Weili Zhang needed her, looks like Yuana now needs Weili Zhang. And I won't blame Zhang at all. I don't think she'll do this. But I don't blame her at all for turning down Yuana and not giving her a shot. But I know Weili Zhang is a lot more honorable in that and she will take on all comers. And man, at one point, Yuana was actually like my favorite fighter in the UFC. And it's gone to a point where like it's hard to ever root for her. You know, she makes a ton of excuses when she loses. She doesn't want to take defeats like a champion. She backpedals a lot like she did here with turning down Weili Zhang three times. And even here, she's trying to make excuses of like why she needed her and that's why she didn't take the fight and stuff. It's like enough, you know, just get on with the sport, fight, take on anybody because you're not the champion. You need a win. You need to get to the title shot, right? So take on everybody. When you turn down Weili Zhang, that's not only showing bad face for the fans, even for the organization, because we know the organization does not like when someone turns down fights like that. And Yuana was always in good graces with the organization. So we'll see how that turns out now because she is fighting Michelle Watterson. And if she goes and loses to Watterson, which I absolutely do not think is going to happen, but anything's possible in MMA. If she goes and loses this fight, now she's nowhere. And she has created this like bad reputation. What do I see here? Matt Serra gives the two fighters that will give the hardest time to Habib Nurmagomedov. All right, let's talk about this. So we know about the Justin Gaethje thing. He goes and beats Donald Cerrone in spectacular fashion. First round TKO. First guy to ever do it at 155 pound division. For some reason, Donald Cerrone has a much better ability to take a punch to the head than at 170. It might be because of the difference in power that the guys at 170 have compared to the guys at 155. Even like Hori Masvidal, who was a 155er for most of his career, able to have enough power to knock out Cerrone at 170, right? The only times Donald Cerrone was ever finished by strikes at lightweight were body shots from Anthony Pettis and against RDA. Yes, his shots were the finishing blows, but I think it was really that left kick or left knee to the liver that crumbled Donald Cerrone again. But coming off that win for Justin Gaethje, People are now believing more that Justin Gaethje is probably the hardest fight for Khabib Nurmagomedov in this entire division, even more so than Tony Ferguson. Some people are getting to that point. I still believe Tony Ferguson will give the best fight. Justin Gaethje, I would say, is either he would destroy Khabib or he would get destroyed. That's pretty much how I think that fight would go. Where Tony Ferguson will be in the fight every step of the way, on the ground, on the feet. Wherever the fight takes place, Tony Ferguson is competitive with Khabib. And that's what makes the fight so crazy and so great. But is there anybody else? We saw what happened to Dustin Poirier. He put up a decent fight compared to who Habib has fought. Conor McGregor, I still think, could pull some problems even more than Dustin Poirier did in their fight. I think a rematch with Conor, if he comes into that fight 100% focused, which is an X factor. We don't know if he ever is going to be 100% focused on this game anymore. If he comes in there like he did at 145 or when he fought Eddie Alvarez or something like that, I think he can give Habib a couple of tough moments. Even though Donald Cerrone lost, I do think his style is problematic for Habib. Because what is Habib going to do? Take him to the ground? Whenever someone takes Cerrone down, they always get in a terrible position or they get submitted. It never turns out good for his opponents. But can Habib do something different? Donald Cerrone has fought pretty good wrestlers before. Good submission artists, great grapplers in the past. So he is actually a little bit more experienced. Where Justin Gaethje... Justin Gaethje, yes, he is impossible to take down. This is something that Matt Serra said. You know, it's hard to take down and you can't beat him up because of that, so you're forced to stand up with him. In theory, that is true. But you have to look at the competition, right? He has an 80% takedown defense rate. Who has taken him down in the UFC? Eddie Alvarez has taken him down. And Eddie Alvarez's wrestling pales in comparison to Habib's. It's nowhere close. I would classify Alvarez as more of a striker than he is a grappler or a wrestler. And he took down Gaethje one time, I believe. 
But besides Alvarez, who has wrestling to their game? Don Cerrone does to a point, but he never attempted a takedown. Gaethje has fought strikers almost his entire UFC career. He started with Michael Johnson, who doesn't attempt any takedowns. Then he fought Alvarez, Dustin Poirier, James Vick, Edson Barboza, Donald Sterling. These guys are all strikers. They're all strikers pretty much. Alvarez is more of a wrestler than anybody else. So how is he going to go from fighting strikers, one okay wrestler, to the greatest grappler in the sport? Right, that's a huge jump to say that Justin Gaethje's not going to get taken down, right? And that would be a disservice to Justin Gaethje going into a fight with Khabib because he's never faced that in the UFC yet. He never fought a Gregor Gillespie. He didn't fight Ally Quinta. He didn't fight Kevin Lee. He didn't fight Alexander Hernandez, Islam Makhachev. If he went through those guys who will actually attempt takedowns who are pretty good wrestlers in their own right, that would have prepared him a little bit more for a Khabib fight, right? Going from all this that he had to Khabib, can be a bit scary if you're in Justin Gaethje's camp. But I will say on paper, Justin Gaethje will be one of the hardest fights. I think Donald Cerrone is a hard fight. We saw the L.I. Quinta fight win complete domination from Khabib's part. Paul Felder gets annihilated. Kevin Lee gets annihilated, especially after that first round. Edson Barboza looked like he was held at gunpoint. Eddie Pettis would be a complete mismatch. Gregor Gillespie, we got to see how he progresses in the sport. He is second or the best wrestler in this division. Again, we got to see how he progresses in the sport and how he fights these top-level fighters. Charles Oliveira can pull some problems, but I think he gets submitted or ground and pounded. Alex Hernandez gets smashed. Islam Makhachev, they'll never fight each other, but I think eventually when Makhachev gets more experience, it would be a tough fight, and Dan Hooker gets smashed as well. So, you know, Justin Gaethje, Donald Cerrone, we'll see how Gregor Gillespie progresses. Charles Oliveira can pull a couple problems with his submissions. Those are the next hardest fights, I think, after Tony Ferguson. Everybody else either gets dominated, or they'll only have a couple moments in the fight, and that's it. And that just speaks to, man, Habib is so good, man. He's one of the best in the sport. And we'll see if GSP eventually comes back after this Tony fight. So yeah, man, I don't think I favor anybody to be Habib at this point. So hopefully that Tony and Habib fight happens in December. I can't wait for that fight to happen. And I cannot wait for fight week. Because at the end of a hard and busy week, nothing is more satisfying than watching the absolute best fighters put everything on the line and go at it. Precise grappling, technical takedowns, savvy striking, slick submissions, and heavy-handed knockouts. There's nothing else like MMA. And there's no better way to make the fights even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. And don't forget, your betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So regardless of whether you're betting on any sport, MMA, NFL football, mybookie.ag is the best in the business and they've got it all. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. And there is a major football season going on. So if you're going to go and bet on that season, you could bet with my bookie as well. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If by some chance all your picks come through and you're quick to cash these funky betting lines that usually will happen, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter who you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. And with great MMA fights coming up in the horizon, such as the Nate Diaz-Hori Maslow fight, the Khabib Batoni fight seems to be wanted in the works, and many other great matches. Join now and my bookie will double your deposit. Use the promo code Weasel to activate the offer. That's promo code W-E-A-S-L-E. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Okay, now let's get to the questions here. For those who are new to the podcast or new to the channel, the way you can ask questions are, you can go on YouTube under the community tab on my channel and ask a question under one of my posts that says like questions for a podcast or something like that. Or if Twitter is more convenient for you, you can go to Twitter and ask me any question you want. Just make sure to hashtag an MMA meeting or they might get lost. So we usually start with YouTube. So the most liked comments on YouTube by Brian Historia. 
It seems like Habib is going to try to retire at 30-0, with the last two fights being Tony and GSP. If Habib beats both of them and reaches 30-0, where does this put him in terms of GOAT status? That's a really good record, right? 30-0, that's a good time to pretty much call it quits. And he would be the GOAT. He would be the best. I mean, if he goes and beats Tony and GSP, GSP, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time. And I think in most opinions today, GSP has rolls above John Jones because of the whole PED issue. And if he goes and beats that guy, and he also beats Tony Ferguson, at the same time, he's going to break the record for title defense. Being the first undefeated UFC champion to retire, as well and being that stellar of competition, yeah, how can you not call him the greatest of all time? And he would surpass even John Jones if you want to include the PED stuff. Beating Tony Ferguson alone would put Habib in that conversation. But if he goes and beats GSP as well, he's above everybody. And think about it. That's only two more fights. That's it. He's 28-0 right now. All he has to beat right now, Tony Ferguson and GSP, I'd like to see him fight Justin Gaethje. Just to see how that fight would go. And if he wants to completely put all doubts aside, go and beat the welterweight champion, if he does those four things, he has done literally. I know a lot of people say that this guy has nothing else to do anymore. Usually champions always have something to do. If Habib does all those four things in his next four fights, there is nothing for him to do anymore. Pretty much. What is he going to do? Go up to middleweight? Like... He would have to do something so extreme to surpass anything he's done in the sport. Nobody will favor him to do it, you know? So, yeah, Habib is only a couple fights from being the GOAT. And that is crazy. Everybody has to watch because everybody knows that Habib is probably not going to be fighting for that much longer. Whether it's two fights, three fights, four fights, that's it. That's what, a year, year and a half, two years, he's going to retire most likely? Cherish these moments, man. Habib is a one-of-a-kind of a champion. And in the future, a lot of the fans are going to be like, yeah, I watch Habib live, you know, and the younger people 30, 40 years from now asks about Habib Nurmagomedov and how he was like the greatest of all time back then and stuff like that. That Tony fight has to happen. That's the biggest one for me. I understand GSP and Habib would be big. I would love to see it. But nothing surpasses my expectations than Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov. It's crazy though that Habib has never bled before, right? You never see blood on Habib. The only difference about Tony Ferguson is you do see blood on him, but it's usually his opponents. That's the difference between them two, just that alone. And in hindsight, we all know Tony Ferguson and Habib never happened. They got scheduled four times, it always fell apart. It's crazy that every single time they schedule that fight, it has gotten even bigger. It's got even more anticipated. And now it's at like an all-time high. These two guys are at the top of the division. And everybody's not really on that level. These two guys went from mid-ranked contenders, when they got scheduled up against each other, to high-ranked contenders, to top-ranked contenders, to one of them a champion, to the other one now a champion. And they're the best fighters, the top fighters in that division's history. That is crazy. The progression that these two made since their first scheduled bout blows my mind, man. And then we go down to Mac V, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 2. Is this the fight to make next, and who do you think would win? Now, I made a Twitter poll about this. Which opponent do the fans want to see Conor McGregor come back for? And the winner of that poll is Dustin Poirier by a pretty good margin. I think because Dustin Poirier also called him out, and it makes a lot of sense. Dustin Poirier was the champion. Conor McGregor was the champion. I understand interim champion, undisputed, is a little bit different. But Dustin Poirier's been a lot more active. Conor McGregor has a win over him. They're both coming off a loss. And as for Dustin Poirier, this does a lot more for him. He's getting a rematch. He's getting a big name. This would probably be just as big, if not maybe even bigger, than his Khabib fight. Possibly. Possibly. We don't know how big Khabib was. 
But apparently, well, apparently, like, 26 million people watched this fight with Dustin Poirier at Russia. I understand it was a free event, but just in Russia. I wonder what the pay-per-view numbers were. Khabib got paid $6 million flat, the most ever for any UFC fighter in history. That includes Conor McGregor, Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey. That event had to have done some crazy numbers, man. And the traffic before and after that event. I mean, my breakdown for the event actually went on the trending page for YouTube. The actual just general trending page. For YouTube where you see like movies and other YouTube channels that are a little bit more mainstream and stuff like that. Yeah, my breakdown went on those. That tells you how big and how interested people were in Habib. Now the question is, is that the fight to make next? Sure. They're technically the next two top ranked fighters in that division, number three and number two. They have history. It's a great fight. I love to see it next. Connor has a lot of options. You know, you can have Jose Aldo. A lot of people want to see that. A lot of people want to see Gaethje. Some people want to see the winner of Diaz versus Masvidal, or loser, or whatever. And they all make sense. And I would actually pick Conor McGregor to win this. I think he'll win again. I think it'll be a lot tougher of a fight. I think he actually might finish him second or third round. One thing is the trash talking, the mental warfare. This is what destroyed Poirier in that first one. I'm not saying the skills didn't. Obviously, I think Conor McGregor would have won eventually. But the fact that Dustin Poirier even getting a little bit emotional about Kobe Covington, not a good sign if he fights a guy like Conor McGregor again, who has even more mental warfare weapons to go after Dustin Poirier, knowing that he knocked him out and stuff like that. You know, Dustin Poirier said that the Khabib loss is devastating him. The Conor loss devastated him. Michael Johnson loss devastated him beyond the devastation of losses for fighters. It just tells you how emotional he gets about these fights, you know? And Conor, I just think, is a better boxer. You know, Dustin Poirier can let off some combinations and stuff like that. And this would be more comfortable for Dustin Poirier to fight in terms of the style of Conor McGregor than Habib or something like that. But I think Conor is a little bit faster. I think he's too precise. I think that left hand will eventually get Dustin Poirier again. Connor is a better kicker. It depends what Connor does, though. You know, if he comes out there flat-footed and stuff like that that we've seen in this lightweight division, it, it would be tough. You know, you, Dustin Poirier can definitely win that. But if he comes out there like he did in the featherweight division, and a little bit how he did against Eddie Alvarez, even though in the Eddie Alvarez fight, he did come out very flat as well. I think it's this jump to 155 that just made him so flat. Um, if he comes out there like 145, Connor McGregor, I think he sparks Dustin Poirier. The 155 Conor McGregor that we've seen in the past, it's competitive. You know, Conor does have more power, it seems like. He does land with a little bit more commitment. But his defense against that volume striking, the combos, puts him at a bit of a risk if he's not moving. And also the takedowns of Dustin Poirier. You can never undermine those. Conor McGregor has decent takedown defense. Not the greatest, but it's there. Will it be enough to stop Dustin Poirier's? Possibly, because Conor did stuff a couple of Habibs. So maybe he can stuff most of Dustin Poirier's, but it takes one. If Poirier gets Conor to the ground, Poirier has a major advantage there. You know, he's a black bomb Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He has many submission wins. He got a close guillotine of Habib, which Habib did say that he let Dustin Poirier get on him to tire him out a bit. He has a very sneaky submission game. That dar stroke of his, the guillotine, he's really good at transitioning through positions like he did on Joe Duffy. Joe Duffy's an excellent grappler as well. He did it on Anthony Pettis. We all know how high-level Pettis is on the ground. But at the end, I'm going to stick with Conor McGregor. I think his boxing style in MMA really does disrupt Dustin Poirier's because what we see Dustin Poirier do a lot recently is he likes to switch forward to create a little bit more distance for his strikes like he did to Max Holloway, Habib, Justin Gaethje, many guys, right? Especially guys who like to move backwards. And if you're going to do that thing to Conor McGregor, as soon as you switch, Conor is a sniper. And right at that switch, he's going to land that left straight and really hurt Dustin Poirier. And Poirier does this thing also where he likes to just come in pumping jabs and load up the right hand or load up the left hand, depending on which stance he's in. He's not going to hit Conor with something like that. You know, it's a little bit too obvious for him. Conor's head movement is insane, right? 
I just think whenever Dustin Poirier tries to move forward to do something, he gets countered or he runs into a wall and pretty much stays on the back foot for the most part of the fight. And from there, it's hard to set up your combinations. Then we go to Music Month. Your personal favorite fighter to watch in each division? Okay, really quickly. So heavyweight, Francis Ngannou. Light heavyweight, I kind of do like Johnny Walker right now. I don't know if he would be my favorite to watch. I am liking Jan Blahovic a lot now. So right now, I'd probably say Blahovic. At middleweight, it's Yoel Romero. But I do like Israel Asanya a lot too. So I would say Romero right now. I like Ponzinibbio at welterweight. I love his style, man. I love how powerful he is, how ferocious he is. He has this intensity about him when he fights. And I think at the higher level, it's going to even magnify for fighters. Lightweight, it's Tony Ferguson. Like I said before on one of my podcasts, Tony Ferguson is one of the most important fighters today for martial arts. Period. The stuff he does is so unorthodox, so backwards to the norm of martial arts, and it works. Nobody really knows what works and what doesn't until it does, until you put it into practice, you know what I'm saying? You go to a lot of gyms, man, and they tell you certain ways to do things right. There is nothing that you could do right. It's just a style of doing things, right? Tony Ferguson, if he goes to any gym and if he wasn't a professional fighter, he didn't have the name and nobody knew how he fought on the grandest stage of martial arts, everybody would say he's crazy, he doesn't know what he's doing, everything he's doing is wrong. But then he goes out there and starts beating the best fighters on the planet. What can they say now? It doesn't work? I mean, he throws a jab backwards than what boxers tell you. He steps after he throws a jab, chin high, shoulders down, hands drop afterward. What do you think a boxing coach would do? He would scorch him for that. But it works for him. You know, so there's nothing that's really like, quote unquote, right to do in martial arts. It's just what's done in practice and what works. If it works, it's good. If it doesn't work, that's when you usually change things up, you know. And then at featherweight, I do like Zabit a lot. I do like Zabit a lot, but I probably say Calvin Cater is my favorite right now. In bantamweight, it was John Lineker. But right now, even though how cringe he is, I got to say Henry Cejudo. I love seeing him fight. I cannot miss a Henry Cejudo fight. His skill is so high level. He is an amazing wrestler. I learned so much watching him wrestle. He's a great boxer, great karate fighter. I love the way he changes up the game like he did in Marlon Marais. Henry Sudo is the real deal, man. I love watching his fights. And as for flyweight, it's Davidson Figueiredo. I love Figueiredo's style, the way he comes out there. His chill, calm approach with a devastating sniping game. That pretty much tells you I like Figueiredo better than Henry Sudo in terms of uh, favoritism. And for the women division, so... Featherweight, it's Nunez. Bantamweight, it's Nunez. Flyweight, it's Shevchenko. Shevchenko is one of my favorite fighters right now. And for strawweight, it's probably Rose Namajunas. And then we go to, oh, I'm going to butcher this. Juve Dame Jivan 2.0. I don't know, man. Uh, could you beat a drunk BJ in a street confrontation? Only if he lets me punch him like he did Andy Ruiz, then probably, yeah. Then we go to Jack Karen. Your rankings for the BMF division. So you got Masvidal, you got Diaz. I would say Paulo Costa, man. Paulo Costa is a bad MFR, you know? Tony Ferguson probably up there, and, and maybe Brian Ortega, but the fact that he's like turning down everybody, I don't know what's going on there. That kind of lowers him in the rankings. Maybe Korean Zombie? Korean Zombie, he don't care. He don't care at all. Then we go to Ali Akbar Hussein Shah. Number one, prime GSP versus a top 15 middleweight. I've done this before. I think I actually did this twice. Um, so pretty much, he does have a hard time at the top there. I think he loses to guys like Romero, Jacques will give him a hard time. Adesanya would probably beat him as well. You know, the guys are a little bit too big for him. And anybody with really good takedown defense puts him at a huge disadvantage, which is most fighters in this division. That's why this division is actually very hard for GSP. That's why guys like Whitaker, who's a striker, would give GSP problems. I think he's a better striker than GSP. I think he's more powerful. He's a lot more dangerous. He's faster, I think, at middleweight. Looking at GSP when he fought Bisping, I don't think that was the best GSP we've ever seen. I think he put on a little bit too much weight. He looked a bit slow slow 
fast enough for Bisping, but a bit too slow for guys like Romero, Adesanya, and Whitaker, and Gaslam, and stuff like that. I think he would beat Gaslam, because I think Gaslam's takedown defense is not enough for a GSP, but everybody else's takedown defense is absolutely out of this world. So I think he does really good at the bottom, does pretty good in the middle, beats some of the high-ranked guys, and at the absolute top, he has a big problem. Number two, your perfect fighter combo with Stylebender and Khabib. Create a nightmare matchup combo to that. Contact is great as always. Keep it up, man. Thanks so much, man. Uh, interesting question. So, yeah, for those who don't know, I said a while back, if I were make a perfect fighter with two styles, I would say Stylebender and Khabib. <laughs> it pretty much answers all areas, you know? From a distance, you got Stylebender stuff, uh, the precision striking, sniper-like qualities. If you're closing that distance on him, now you got that wrestling like Khabib, you know what I'm saying? And his pressure because of Khabib's style also puts opponents backwards, which makes their pressure a lot more obvious. And if it goes on the ground, good luck. A nightmare matchup for that? I don't know how you can make a nightmare matchup combo for the perfect fighter. I was thinking Costa and something like Jose Aldo because you have that pressuring style of Costa with solid defense and an amazing chin. Very physical fighter. Good volume, good cardio, all that stuff. High pace for that long striking style of style bender. And you got the takedown defense of Jose Aldo in case this perfect fighter wants to use that Habib route. You know what I'm saying? Do I think that would beat this perfect fighter? Probably not. I think eventually that long striking style will give that Polo Costa striking style a bit of a hard time. But you also do have Jose Aldo's light kicks and stuff like that. You got his amazing pivoting boxing in close range. So the Jose Aldo thing, it's perfect with the style of Paulo Costa because Costa's trying to get on the inside of you, right? He's constantly pressuring you down, getting into the cage. And when Jose Aldo is in that space, that mid to close range, he is a phenom there, you know? So those two striking styles as well does a lot to this perfect fighter. And we've seen like guys like Kelvin Gastelum able to get in on Stylebender because Stylebender allows us sometimes. He doesn't throw jabs as much as he should. So I think that fighter would be a very hard matchup for a Stylebender Habib fusion. We go to Pumpy FN. There's a bunch of questions here. So I'm going to skip a couple. I'm going to skip that first one because there's a lot I cannot think of at the top of my head right now. Hardest hitter in each division. I could go through this quickly. So Nganu, Johnny Walker, Yoel Romero, Tyron Woodley, Justin Gaethje, Jeremy Stevens, then Mullen Marais, then David and Figueiredo, Mena Nunes, at flyweight's really hard to say. Everyone's so equally powerful. And for strawweight, I'd probably say Willie Shane because how she starts Andrade, you know. But it's hard to say. Those two fighters are so much more powerful than everybody else. Then matchups, Nganu versus Prime Fedor. Uh, I think Nganu knocks him out. Nganu's takedown defense is very good, especially from the clinch where Fedor always attempts takedowns. Good luck taking down that guy from the clinch. He is extremely strong way bigger than Fedor and in the striking Fedor is a little bit too wild and dips his head in every which direction and Nganu has that insanely long reach those uppercuts and hooks are eventually going to catch Fedor that doesn't mean I think Nganu is a greater fighter than Fedor but just a style man it's a hard fight for Fedor GSP versus Habib at 170 I'll go with GSP especially a prime GSP he's a better striker all around much longer a little bit bigger takedown defense is on point and I don't think he's going to get pressured from Habib that well. I think he'll actually establish that aggression early on and put Habib back to the cage like most fighters do in the beginning. And he'll be able to keep that because of his jab and because of his range control. Stylebender versus TRT Vitor. I'll go TRT Vitor. I'm not even memeing. I'm not even joking. Seeing how Kelvin got in on Stylebender is a bit alarming if you're going to be fighting a guy like TRT Vitor. Vitor is way faster, way more powerful than Kelvin, longer than Kelvin, and his blitz is iconic. He's going to get right on the inside of that long straight, possibly block the kicks. He's very patient to know when to counter you, when to blitz you down. And one blitz from TRT Vitor, I see Stylebender having a very hard time getting out of there. 
And TRT Vitor also has a pretty good gas tank, so yeah. Not fair, because one guy's on TRT, but uh, I think TRT Vitor is, is something out of this world. Uberim versus Nganu. Nganu decapitates him again. People have this notion that Uberim was actually better than the Overeem we have now. That's actually, I don't even think that's true. I think this Overeem is, or at least Overeem a couple fights ago, was better than Uberim. Uberim lost a lot. You know, he lost to guys like Bigfoot, got knocked out bad by him. Travis Brown knocked him out. I understand he was winning these fights, but he never had a good chin. Even then, he never had a good chin. One big shot from Nganu, it's over. Nganu has an amazing chin. Probably the best chin ever in the UFC. He's longer than Uberim, more powerful than Uberim. He's the same size, pretty much. Maybe Uberim's a little bit bigger. Uberim will eventually get too confident, eat a big one on the chin, maybe even a jab. Even a jab will probably put him down, and that'd be it. The next question, if not Tony, who can beat Khabib? The next guy at lightweight would be Justin Gaethje. And then how do you beat Khabib? What's the best strategy? I actually made an entire video on this. All right, it's actually called How to Beat a Fighter, Khabib Nurmagomedov. I'll put that in the description box, in case for those who didn't watch it. And last question, if Adesanya beats Whitaker, then beats Costa Romero, and let's say he moves up and beats Jones, is he the greatest ever? Uh, sure. If Habib goes and beats GSP and Tony, I don't think so. But he's right there. I mean, he has to do a lot. Beat Whitaker is tough enough. Beat Costa Romero, come on. Romero, I think, is a nightmare for him. And he goes and beats Jones, that's a, that's a terrible fight for him. So actually, the only fight I favor him out of those four is the Costa fight. Everything else, I actually favor his opposition. Then we go to Mustafa Sidamed. Number one, now that Willie Zhang has secured the title in such a dramatic fashion, how do you see her matching up with the rest of the division? Alright, she smashes Courtney Casey, smashes Carolina, smashes Tisha Torres, smashes Felice Herrick, Cynthia Calvillo. I think right now she smashes Rodriguez. Alexa Grasso in the future could possibly pose a threat, but not now. I think the power is a little bit too much, even the grappling, because Grasso is so well-rounded. Jean kind of trumps her everywhere, besides just technical defensive boxing. Carla Esparza runs into a brick wall. Michelle Waterson cannot get out of the way. Claudio have a good first round. Still show that Zhang's too powerful for her. Yuan is a tough fight for her. That's a hard fight for Zhang. Right now, actually, I don't know who would win this one. Because Yuana has the reach, she has that jab to keep Zhang at distance. Zhang can try to attempt takedowns to mix up the game a bit, but Yuana has amazing takedown defense. But one big thing that Yuana doesn't have is a great exit from the takedowns. If she stuffs a takedown, she's always open. She actually moves backwards in an opposite manner. You know, she kind of steps into southpaw away from takedowns and then switches into her orthodox stance, which puts her in an extremely vulnerable position for a long period of time. So Jen could potentially find that right hand right there and then. It's a tough fight, man. I actually don't know who would win that one. Nina Ansarov is not enough. I think Jen's a little bit too powerful for her. Tatiana Suarez will eventually find a brick wall. I think the takedowns will work early on, but Suarez has shown a slow down in fights, especially a three-round fight. Imagine a five-round fight. Jen would eventually start stopping all the takedowns. Suarez is an open target on the feet when her takedowns are completely thwarted. Like we saw when she fought Nina Ansaroff, and Zhang will start picking her apart, eventually TKOing her. Rose Namajunas is a hard fight, but I think Zhang would win this one. Because Rose, if she's consistently active in a fight or getting pressured, like against Jessica Andrade, Carlos Barza in previous fights, she has shown to slow down a little bit. In the second round against Andrade, she was already slowing down a bit. It was because of that uber pressure. And if Zhang could come out there and start pressuring her with power shots, defending the boxing smoothly and effectively, and countering right back, 
Rolls will have a very hard time in that one. I think Rolls would do very well in the first two rounds, but I think Zhang starts to get stronger throughout that fight. And against Jessica Andrade, Zhang would win this one because I think Andrade would not be as aggressive in the rematch, right? Knowing how much that put her into danger, I think she's going to be a little bit more patient. And from that, Zhang is probably going to dominate throughout the fight to eventually winning a decision or a late stoppage. Number two, how well do you think she will do against a potential super fight with Valentina Shevchenko? We got to slow down. Slow down here. Shevchenko's too much. She's better in almost every single area of fighting than Jengis, and she's bigger and longer. I think Shevchenko stops her, actually. Thanks for calling our curiosity of this growing sport week after week. Much appreciated. Now, the pleasure's all mine, man. It's so fun. Then we go to Zach Horde. All right, seems like a lot of questions here, man. This is my first time asking a question. Can I get some likes my MMA community? Looks like you got it, man. My question is, why does everyone seem to think that DC versus Stipe 3 doesn't need to happen? The first fight, Stipe was winning the fight until DC clipped him. DC was winning the second fight until Stipe made a beautiful adjustment and went to the body. Had DC mixed up his wrestling with his punches, it could have been a different fight. If Stipe starts to throw to the body in the first round, it could be a first round knockout. I see a lot of adjustments and potential in the trilogy fight. Why is everyone so down on it? Long message, sorry. I love the channel, brother. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to watching you on the indie streams to the UFC if you start to fight one day. Thanks for the likes, guys. Interesting question. I actually agree with it. DC and Stipe 3 pretty much will have to happen eventually. Like you said, you know, Stipe was winning the first fight, DC knocked him out. DC was winning the second fight, Stipe finished him with an adjustment. But DC didn't do everything he could in that fight. Did Stipe do everything he could in the first fight? I think this third fight will complete it all. I think they know what to do to each other. They know how they lost. They know the mistakes that are made. And they both know how to address those mistakes. And it's one and one. Both finish each other. DC actually might have more stake to this for a rematch because he lost that last one. He knocked out Stipe in the first round of the first fight and was winning three rounds in their second fight, you know? So if you look at the total rounds, DC actually did more. You know, it was a little bit more effective throughout their like five rounds of fighting, you know? Four and a half rounds of fighting. We have to see it. One on one, two of the best heavyweights of all time. Who is actually the best? This puts everything aside. This shows who is the best out of the two with no debate unless something crazy happens in the fight, like an eye poke ends it. DC, man, you gotta stop that. I understand if he can't beat John Jones, just join him, I guess. But some of those eye pokes look so blatant, it's crazy, man. Then we go to Charles Broomfield. Do you think Holloway would have been a harder test for Khabib than Dustin? Would the takedown defense and cardio have given him a chance to outpoint Khabib, or do you think it would have been domination? I think it would have been absolute domination. I think Khabib ragdolls Holloway. Holloway has a great takedown defense in the featherweight division against much smaller fighters. Much smaller. With nowhere near... The grappling prowess of Habib. Brian Ortega took down Holloway for a very brief moment. Ortega takes on nobody. And he's smaller than Habib. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be a hard fight for Holloway, man. And the changing of levels and stuff like that is actually something Holloway's not really fought up against. He fought Frankie Edgar, who kind of has it. But Frankie is so obvious with his entries. From a distance, you know what he's going to do. You don't have to worry too much what he does on the inside, right? Because you know how to stop him from a distance. From getting ever on the inside, you know what I'm saying? That's what Holloway was pretty much doing for that fight. Kept a jab on Edgar the entire fight. He can't do that to Khabib. Khabib's actually longer than Holloway. He has more power than Holloway, I think. Not a better striker, obviously. But he does have that wrestling game to create opportunities on the feet. And got Holloway a little bit worried about the striking. Go to takedowns. Holloway does get pressured as well. Poirier pressured him beyond belief with no takedowns. Right? If Khabib's going to pressure you against the cage like that, get prepared for something you have never felt in your entire career. 
Holloway's never felt it in a training room, in a fight, and sparring at home. He's never felt anything like Habib can provide out there. So, yeah, I think Habib ragdolls Holloway. I'm going to go to Rai Rai. I've punched myself in the head a few times recently, but can't seem to get the KO. Is that because I know the punch is coming? Did I just read this? Yes, it's because you know the punch is coming. Actually, a little bit. It's also the way you're throwing your punch. You can't really punch yourself and knock yourself out like that. You have no leverage. You have no feet under you or anything like that. It's just an arm punch and a very awkward angle. But even still, if you have a friend do that to you, get that same angle on you and punch you without you knowing, it would hurt you. So maybe get a friend to do it if you're experimenting. No, I'm just kidding. I'm very surprised there's no insult questions here. So then we go to, I don't know what to change my name to. Number one, do you think Yuan has a good chance of reclaiming the title? Yes, I do. Number two, most likely to win, Ben Askren or Maya. Maya, I think, wins. Number three, do you think it's embarrassing for the sport of MMA that an untrained fat person managed to knock out a former champion BJ Penn? Yeah, it is embarrassing for the sport because BJ Penn should be putting himself in that kind of situation. I understand a lot of people are saying that that fat guy provoked this whole thing and BJ Penn couldn't get away from it. I think he could have gotten away from it. But the fact that he told the guy to punch him kind of told me that BJ Penn was probably intoxicated or he wanted to fight. He wanted something out of it. He looked like he was having fun. I don't know. And I think putting himself in that situation is more embarrassing than actually getting knocked out like that because he let the guy punch. It wasn't like he lost a fight without doing something stupid. He got into a fight. He did something dumb. The guy knocked him out who seemed to be a bit bigger than him or at least a bit fatter than him. So yeah, a bit embarrassing. And number four, who do you favor with Wiley Zhang versus Cejudo? Is Cejudo going to get that sex change? If he gets that sex change, man, Zhang is going to destroy Henricia Cejudo. I actually like that name. What's a Henricia? It's a starfish. Okay. Edwin Alexander, tits or ass? Well, I spoke too soon. Ass all day. I've gotten to the point where tits actually don't matter. Okay, let's go to Twitter. I'm disgusted from these YouTube questions. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. So starting with at Ahern Eman, do you think we'll see a grappler's equivalent of a striking masterclass from Damian Maya against Naskrin? Maya's way better of a striker. It's crazy to say that. It's crazy to think about that. We're talking about a guy that even caught Anderson Silva once and shook him off because of a, I think it was a straight left. Anderson was playing around, but still. Ben Askren's striking seems to be non-existent to a point where Damian Maia can showcase himself as like a K1. People are going to watch this sport. Let's say they heard of Ben Askren, right? And they never watched MMA before. And there are some new fans. They're like, oh, Ben Askren's fighting? I didn't know that. So they're going to watch this fight against Damian Maia or something like that. Some new fan. Those fans are going to mistake Damian Maia as a K1 champion or something. Some kickboxer. They'll be like, whoa, this Damian Maia guy is actually a really good striker. Wow, I wonder if he fought in kickboxing or boxing or whatever. Later to find out this guy is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu phenom with actually not that great of striking. Yeah, I think David Maia beats Ben Askren because of his striking. And if he gets taken to the ground, Ben Askren made a huge mistake. It's a three-round fight as well, so it's going to favor Maia. Then we go to at UA Smatico. What do you make of Kenny Florian saying that no heavyweights in the UFC create angles or move while striking? Do you agree? Francis Ngannou is a... Big debunk to that. He just beat JDS moving backwards. He beat Arlovsky moving backwards. He turned an angle on Alistair Overeem. I think that kind of throws that out of the window. I don't know about Kenny Florian, man. I think he just talks sometimes. I understand it's a podcast. You know, sometimes things just go to your head and you don't really have enough time to think about it. But yeah, Ngannou is a first hand comes to my head. And who else does it? I mean, I made a breakdown on Stipe Miocic, how he makes angles with his pivots. You know, his pivoting cross is the definition of creating an angle and landing a strike. So, then we go to at Kiwi1044. Why don't we see strikers ever shoot on wrestlers to mix up strategy? It always seems like strikers are on the defensive against wrestlers and can't flow in the stand-up because of the takedown threat. 
so why not fake or go for the takedown? Maybe it would lead to more striking opportunities. I just thought the puzzle of how to beat someone who can control you is mind-boggling to me. So yeah, very good question, man. But the answer pretty much is if a striker is going to go for a takedown, it's very hard to exit away from it. It's very easy for wrestlers to have an exit strategy in the striking, and that's the takedown. Strikers, when they're going for the takedown, yes, they can uh, shoot, get the guy to think low and come up with an uppercut or something like Chad Mendes used to do, but Chad Mendes was a wrestler. That is a wrestling to striking strategy. So something like that can work. But the thing is, if they actually shoot for the takedown and commit a little bit with it, they can completely put themselves in a dire situation like Edson Barboza versus Tony Ferguson, for an example. Edson Barboza shot on Ferguson and immediately got caught in a darts choke. I understand the shot was a little bit too committed. I mean, he really went for that takedown. But your example of like faking a shot or shooting under a little bit and coming up with a strike or working your way to a clinch or something like that, and then for a Muay Thai fighter, for an example, using that clinch for knees and elbows and stuff, I think that's actually a really good strategy. I don't know why strikers don't do that as much. I think they're just a little bit too uncomfortable about it, you know? Like I said before, it's a lot harder to exit from a wrestling situation than it is from a striking situation. And there's also John Jones, for an example. But Jones is another wrestler, you know? So maybe that wrestling threat, because the opponent knows you're a wrestler, that takedown threat makes them a lot more anxious and bite on those baits. So John Jones, for an example, when he reaches down for like an ankle pick or something and comes over the top of the spinning back elbow, that's another one, you know? I think strikers should try that a lot more because wrestlers are making a career out of this. I think strikers are missing out on it. Then we go to at Nicola Jujak. Do you think light kicks and knee stomps will work against Habib? No one has really thrown light kicks at him and he doesn't seem to check them. Yeah, they should. Habib is not your traditional wrestler that like a Chad Mendez or a Frankie Edgar, as soon as you throw a light kick, he's going to catch them. You know, Habib is not that kind of wrestler. He can go for that. You know, it could be a bit of a risk, but you have to mask it behind punches. You know, that's the trick there. You know, you got to mask it, get him to worry about the hands on the top and blast the leg kicks and potentially follow up with another punch. Remember when Jolzy Aldo threw the left hook, right leg kick, left hook, right leg kick at Ricardo Lamas, who was actually a pretty good wrestler, and he had no idea what to go for? Stuff like that could work against Habib. And Habib has a stance where it's very boxing heavy. Habib can be very heavy on his feet. So yeah, people should try a little bit more things. Everybody's trying to find him the same way. And it's a bit frustrating, you know? Even Dustin Poirier, with his original style, I thought would have a very good chance against Habib. He fought him like a sniper with anxiety in his in his wrestling defense, you know, like everybody else. And that's not who he is. But it could be because he's never really fought that kind of a wrestler in his entire career. And he hasn't fought a wrestler in a very long time who consistently went for takedowns. And it probably threw his whole game into another style. And Kiwi 104, I mean, your question about do fighters respect Habib too much? Yeah, this is exactly what I'm saying, man. They respect him too much. And you even pointed out, you know, his one over Dustin Poirier. Does it show that fighters are approaching him incorrectly? And everybody's approaching him the same way. And yeah. The only guy that approached it a little bit different was Ally Quinta. A little bit different. He pressured Habib initially, and he had a lot more success in doing so. He was very defensive. He wasn't even trying to snipe too much. And that's what kept him around for five rounds, you know. So mixing up a little bit. Everybody's fighting the same. Connor's fighting the same. Dustin Poirier's fighting the same. Edson Barbals is fighting the same. Michael Johnson fought him a little bit different with a little bit more output and had a little bit more success because of that. But after that first takedown, he fought him like everybody else. Then we go to at Genghis MM. Why do you think Dana wants GSP versus Habib? I think till last fight, he thought Habib couldn't beat GSP. Now that he saw how dominant Habib was against Poirier, he now sees GSP as a stepping stone for Habib to become even a bigger star. Smart move. Possibly. It's not an easy fight for Habib. 
at 155, I don't know what GSP we're going to see. And he's getting older. So possibly as GSP is getting older and knowing how Habib is so dominant over everybody, it's a risk to take. But if Habib wins, it means the organization wins as well. And it's a bit of a gamble, but man, if it succeeds, it's a big thing for the organization. Because if GSP beats Habib, that is bad for the organization because he's going to retire. That's the big reason why Dana White initially didn't want this fight to happen or want GSP to fight for any belt anymore. And now he's open to it. Interesting, huh? Then we go to at Blazedriti. Some recommendations on what to look for while joining an MMA gym. How should I analyze it's good for me or not? Depends on your uh, personality of what you want from a gym. Well, first thing is, if they're throwing you into sparring right away, that's probably not a good thing. It tells you a lot about that gym. It depends what kind of sparring, but if they're throwing you into hard sparring with professionals or amateur fighters or high-level martial artists or anybody who's done it for even a little bit and they're going at it and even the other martial artists trying to put it on you, yeah, probably not a good gym to go to. Gyms initially when you join them, it depends what you're going them for, but if you're going there just to learn, that's what it's for. You shouldn't be sparring. They shouldn't put you through the grinder right away. You know, it should be learning the basics first. Like for an example, if they have some, let's say Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor or even like a purple belt or something like that, if he comes out there and starts training you personally, while everybody's doing the class and showing you the basics before he throws you into the class where you're all learning the same thing, that is a good sign. You know, there's a lot of things you got to look for. It's a lot harder to know, especially when you're first starting out, first going to a gym. It's a lot harder to know what's good and what's not, and that's how you learn. So a lot of things, it's actually hard for me to tell you, for an example, because I've gone to a lot of gyms. You know, I've tried out a lot of gyms. Um, I've moved recently and stuff like that. So for an example, because I've trained, I know what's going on. I know what's right. I know what's foolish. I've went to a gym for an example and I took their boxing class just to see what's up. You know, I want to see how the gym was. The gym facility was beautiful. You know, it had everything. It was a high tech facility, good gym, a lot of people there. But as soon as I took the boxing class, it felt like a cardio class. And also the combinations they instructed us, I knew would get me in some trouble if I actually practiced this thing. You know, because me, I don't like to practice things unless they make sense to use in a fight. If I'm doing something like jab, jab, switch, jab, that's going to put me in some bad situations. And I'm not going to practice that ever. I'm never even going to put that in my brain to do. And then I found out the fighters that go here, there's a few fighters that go there, but mostly it's people with families and stuff like that. They usually go to that gym and they're just there for workouts and training and stuff like that. There are a few fighters, obviously. And there were a couple that were a little bit rough with anybody that got in there with them and trained with them. Wasn't sparring at all just training. It was not a great gym. Great facility, had everything you want besides good training and good fighters. But the best thing you want is whatever you're looking for the gym, if they can match what you're looking for. So if you're looking to learn, if they're helping you learn without throwing you to other things, that is a good thing. If you're going there because you want to be a fighter and stuff like that, and let's say you want to spar right away, you tell them, I want to spar, I want to fight, I want to do this. And if they tell you, hold on, we'll get to sparring later, that is another good sign as well. The worst thing is if they put you in a fight within like a week or two and you've never trained before. That is the worst sign for a gym. Yeah, there's some things. Um, I could go on a bit about this, but for some reason, I don't like to go to big gyms. I don't like to go to gyms that are heavily populated because, uh, for an example, a boxing gym I went to was a old school leather gym. You know what I'm saying? Like you walk in there, it just smells like hard work. It's low tech. Not a lot of people in some corner in a hard to find place. 
And the people that go there are focused there and put their head down and work. I really gravitate towards those gyms. So when it's like a well-known gym, part of me just doesn't appeal to it for some reason. Maybe I'll change my mind at some of these mega gyms if I ever walk into there one day. But those old school boxing gyms with really old school trainers that have been in the game for a long time, those are really cool to train at. Then we go to at Zach Harness 62 It's 205 where Jacques Ray finally gets a title shot. How are his chances against Yan and does he have a chance against Jones. Okay, so he put himself in a position where if he beats Jan Plahovic, he should get a title shot. One fight in, and he should get a title shot. That's pretty much what he's in now. And it's a hard fight for him. It's a very hard fight for him. I think he might have a bit of a hard time taking down Jan because of that distance, how big Jan is. Jan has an extremely long reach on Jacare, and he's a way better striker in almost every department. And he's a southpaw fighter as well. I understand the right hand of Jacare is open, but also the left body kick of Jan is open, and that's a very dangerous weapon he has. And if he gets taken to the ground, he is a high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artist. Is it going to last too long with Jacare? Probably not, but Jacare hasn't fought a 205 in a long time, I think. I don't think he's ever fought a 205, has he? I think he loses to Jan. I would say it's a 60-40 in favor for Jan, and if he fights John Jones... It does pose a bit of interesting things, huh? Jones will try to take Jacare to the ground. Most likely, because that's how he fights. He tries to fight you in your strongest environment. If he does, right away in the first round, if he takes on Jacare, Jacare can submit him. It is not out of the realm of possibility that Jacare catches him in an armbar, in a guillotine, or something. Jacare would be by far the most dangerous submission artist, the most dangerous BJJ artist Jones has ever faced in his entire career. In the gym, probably. In a fight, most definitely. But Jones could win. If he keeps it at a distance in the stand-up, Jones will dominate Jacare. So, it depends, man. Jones makes some questionable decisions sometimes that puts him into trouble. But I would say it's like an 80-20 for Jones to win that. At HPX Hatecraft. Not sure if it's too late for this. Obviously, most people consider Ronda Rousey to be overrated. Most people claim she had the run she did because of the level of competition she faced. However, I've never really understood that sentiment. Ronda Rousey may have fought some lower level competition, but a lot of her competitors weren't as low level as they're made out to be. For example, Kazagano beat Pennington and Nunes TKO. Alexis Davis beat Tanya Evinger twice and Nunes TKO. Julia Budd beat Jermaine Duranami and is the current Bellator featherweight champion. She may have lost via devastating KO in her last two fights, but the fact that she put together the record she has is nothing short of spectacular in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Overrated? Overrated to what the mainstream thinks about her. But in terms of uh, what hardcore fans think of her, no, I don't think so. I think Ronda Rousey is the second best bantamweight of all time. She is top five greatest female fighters of all time. That tells her she's up there. You know, she's definitely a great fighter. But here's the thing. People like to compare it to fighters like Nunes or something. Or, or like Yoan or Chris Cyborg or something. And her level of competition is a bit outdated. Yes, Kat's going to beat Pennington and Nunes. But when did she beat them? Very early in her career. You know, all those fighters were very young. Alexis Davis did the same thing. Julia Budd beat Jermaine Durand Jermaine a long time ago as well. They're decent fighters. I would say Julia Budd is better than Davis and Zagano are. But would they beat them today? Would Zagano beat Pennington and Nunes today? Absolutely not. Would Davis beat Tanya Evinger and Nunes today? Maybe Evinger, not Nunes. Will Julia Budd beat Jermaine Durand Not a chance. So you got to look at when they beat them. For an example, the guy that beat Henan Burrell in his first fight, can you hold that forever? No, because that guy probably gets smoked by Henan Burrell like five years later. Easily. You know, see, it's very hard to keep a win that happened years ago and hold it as relevant today. You know, in terms of looking at Ronda Rousey's competition before. But Ronda Rousey fought at the early stages of the UFC. So she was comparable to a lot of these fighters. But I think everybody she has fought has fought a lot longer than she has. 
She was the new fighter on the block. She was the new fighter with more advanced skills. On paper, in theory. And she won all of these fights. You know, she fought Liz Carmouche, who fought longer than her. Misha Tate fought years longer than her. Amanda Nunes fought longer than her. Holly Holmes fought longer than her. Zagano's fought longer than her. Davis has fought a lot longer than her. You know, Kaufman, all these fighters have fought so much longer than Rousey. Rousey's considered a new fighter. Even in today's standards, she is still considered a more modern fighter. She's not an old pioneer fighter who started the female divisions. You know, that's fighters like Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina Shevchenko had her first MMA fight in like 2002. Ronda Rousey started in like 2010, 2011. That's a newer fighter, man. And she's fighting fighters who started their careers in the mid-2000s. So she naturally had an advantage in the first place. And that's why a lot of people are saying that her competition was easier. You know, if she started in that same generation, then it would be a little bit different. But here's the thing. Ronda Rousey beating those fighters is still a bit credible. The way she beat them is impressive. It was impressive. So yeah, top five greatest of all time. But overrated in terms of saying she's the greatest or she's the pioneer of the sport and stuff like that. That's just overrated. Really quick at Dan Remenhorn. Which UFC featherweight inspires your style and training at the gym? Uh, what inspired me the most, especially to get into MMA, was Conor McGregor when he was in the featherweight division. Uh, the question is not too far off from that. But right now, who inspired? A lot of people inspire me. I won't say influences me, but inspiring a lot of people. Um, Jose Aldo inspires some of my style. Zabit a little bit because he already has like a similar style that I've grown up doing. Kelvin Cater as well. At Panda UFC, hey man, I seriously think that Santiago Ponzinibbio can absolutely finish Usman Colby and Woodley. He's the next welterweight champion. In my opinion, what do you think? I think Ponzinibbio is the nightmare matchup for Usman. Colby would be a tougher fight than Woodley and Usman because of his pressure and he would fake aggressively on Ponzinibbio. And he's harder to hit than Usman, even with that aggression. That could put Ponzinibbio in a bit of a flux. Woodley, it could be competitive, but man, if Woodley keeps too defensive out there, Santiago Ponzinibbio will keep that jab at him all day. And that jab can knock you out. It knocked out Gunnar Nelson. So, Woodley does want to eat a jab. It's not like Wonder Boy's jab. This jab will blast you backwards, man. So, yeah, I do think he would beat Usman and Woodley. I think he might finish Usman. Colby will be a tough fight. And this one's just so interesting, I have to answer it. Second question, for some reason, people think that Burroughs, Jordan Burroughs, could come into the UFC and beat Habib. I find this amusing. Me too. MMA grappling and wrestling is so different than pure wrestling. It is its own martial art. Habib is complete. What are your thoughts? Preach, man. You can't just come from the world of amateur wrestling and expect to wrestle that same way in MMA. It's so different, man. MMA wrestling, MMA boxing, MMA Muay Thai, MMA kickboxing, MMA karate. These are their own martial art. You have to focus those styles into MMA very different than you were in your pure martial art. You know what I'm saying? Same reason. Floyd Mayweather comes to the UFC, he can get outboxed because of the different elements that are included in MMA. Absolutely can happen. We have Gokan Saki. Yeah, he probably wasn't the greatest kickboxer of all time, but he was definitely elite. He was high tier, man. And he gets knocked out on the feet by Khalil Roundtree, who has never even fought in kickboxing before, I think. He started to lose weight, got into MMA, and within like less than 10 fights professionally throughout any martial art, he knocks out Gokan Saki in the first round like he did. It speaks to it, man. It's different. There's different elements. The gloves are smaller. There's a cage. Even though you're not on the cage, the fact that there's a cage around you automatically puts you in a different mindset. The fact that wrestling is a threat, but let's say you're fighting a striker, it still plays a factor. Just the mentality of it, just the impact that it has on your brain, that in itself makes it different. And that can completely change the dynamic of the pure martial arts. 
Jordan Burroughs coming to the UFC and fight Khabib. He's going to get boxed up if not submitted, if even Habib gets taken to the ground. You can't just wrestle, and that's it. Look what happened to, um, what's the guy in Bellator that fought Naaman Gracie? Ed Ruth. Ed Ruth was a three-time NCAA Division I national champion from Pennsylvania State University. And he went to the 2014 World Wrestling Championships and the 2015 Wrestling World Cup, whatever, you know? All these wrestling accolades, and he was like a 5-1 to favorite over Naaman Gracie. Look at my prediction video for that. I said Gracie will win that fight hands down why what is ed ruth gonna do if he gets him to the ground what is he gonna do most likely gonna get submitted if not he gets swept he'll be in a completely different situation that he's used to in wrestling he's fighting a pgj artist he's not fighting a wrestler and there's a striking game now that Naaman gracie has been doing more than ed ruth has it's a similar thing man and you also have to have the mindset for mma you know the striking involved it's a little bit more violent cosmetically jordan burroughs will get dealt with if he fought Habib Nurmagomedov in many ways. Not just one way, but many ways. He could fight Gregor Gillespie. Let's have him fight Gregor Gillespie, who's a wrestler. He'll get dealt with in that fight as well. And Gregor Gillespie doesn't go for submissions, but he can go for submissions in that one. That whole thing when people kept bringing up Jordan Burroughs if he fought in the UFC, it's just crazy to me, man. It's so different. It's so different. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And if you did, make sure you give it a like. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And again, thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll see you in the next episode.